the title of our message this week is uh, First Response. A week ago yesterday, there was a tragedy at Wheaton College. Uh, perhaps you heard about it. <clears throat> Excuse me. There was a student by the name of Ethan uh, who had volunteered at a track meet and he was killed. Uh, uh, during the hammer throw. Uh, the hammer throw um, hit him in the head and it killed him. Uh, it was a real tragedy for his family, his friends, uh, the track teams, the, the college, the, actually the whole conference, and all the concentric circles of connections in that young man's life. I know the man uh, that was a first responder, a trainer from Wheaton College. And all the years of his training, I don't think he ever imagined this type of an event. And you know, he'll forever, ever have those extremely vivid images in his mind of desperately trying to save a life that was, it was already gone. And what in the world does that have to do with our message? You know, I, I, was, uh, I was thinking, you know, we should be cognizant of first responders. Uh, there's a lot of people that are first responders, uh, soldiers, police, firemen, paramedics, medical staff, and many, many more that <laughs> if you look up first responders on the Internet, there's a list of about 100 different groups that could be first responders. They need our prayer, they need our support, they need our respect for, for what they do. And you know what they do requires uh, selflessness, it really does, <laughs> to run toward something like this instead of turning around and running the other direction. That takes real selflessness and it takes courage. And what they often, what they do, it often exacts a, a toll physically, emotionally, and, and perhaps spiritually. This process, though, of first response made me think about our first response to situations in our, in our own life. And are we able to respond with selflessness and courage? And how do we respond to tragedy? I'm getting used to some new glasses. I just figured out that's going to be an issue. <laughs> so uh, if you see me doing this, that's because I've got new glasses on. I should have worn the old ones. <laughs> so uh, how do we respond to a tragedy? You know, I was thinking, uh, you know, there's crying, there, there's shock, there's numbness, there's this sometimes looking for revenge. There's certainly this idea of looking for answers. Why? You know, why did Ethan have to lose his life? Anger, sometimes fear when we see something like that. What are our first responses? And then how do we respond to a joyous occasion? <laughs> Laughter, dancing. If you ever see me doing the funky chicken, you'll know 
that I'm a happy dude right there. So uh, if you don't know what that is, I'll tell you later, but I probably won't show you. So uh, <laughs> laughter, dancing, joyous occasion, partying, celebration, satisfaction, happiness, all of those things uh, are responses. And you know, James, our brother James, has something to say about first responses for God's people. And I want us to give a listen to the text for this week's word from the Lord. I'm going to ask you if you'll stand with me as I read James 5, 13 to 18. This is our second to the last message. Uh, Brother Phil will be preaching the last message out of James next, next week. The prayer of faith is the title here. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. Father, we, we look to you today uh, to bear fruit in our lives. I pray that, uh, God, that your, your message would be what comes through this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Thank you. So our primary obligation, it's, under, it's really important for us to understand what our primary obligation as Christians is. Uh, and you know what? It's important to understand James when we talk about our primary obligation. Uh, James is not giving us some kind of a, a deep theological treatise this morning. He's not going to be explaining the attributes of God or trying to explain the mysteries of the depths of God. Uh, he doesn't plumb into those depths. Uh, he's a, a different kind of a, a teacher. Uh, he's a doer, and I really like that about him. You know, he's a man of action. And that really works for a simple guy like me. I love the book of James. Uh, and, and listen to some of the things that James has already told us and, and hear his pattern in here. Uh, James said to us, you know, your faith will be tested. And then he says, count it joy. So do that. Count it joy. He says to be a doer of the word, not just a hearer. That was important to him. His faith was about doing. There was always doing in his faith. Uh, he says faith without works is dead. And then he tells us to do something else. He says tame the tongue. <laughs> he says wisdom is shown by good conduct. We've gone through all these messages already. He says submit to God. That's something we do. He says draw near to God. That's something that we do. He says cleanse your hands. We do that. Purify your hearts. Be patient. 
You see, he's, I love those short staccato things from James. It's pretty simple. Maybe not so simple to do, but it's a simple concept. So faith, defined by James, requires action. It requires a response from us. <laughs> You're familiar with Hebrews chapter 11. Let me just read uh, it's important, I think, that we understand faith this morning because that's really what the message is about. It's about prayer, but it's also about faith, prayer and faith. So the first two verses of chapter 11 of Hebrews, this is a definition. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for. You know, we can quote that. You've heard it a million times, but stop and think about that just for a minute. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. That's not the hope that the world has, or, oh, I hope we don't get into a war with North Korea, you know, or I hope uh, this, this, our nation's going to do this, or I hope this might happen. That's not the hope of the Bible. That's not the faith of the Bible. Uh, the faith of the Bible is, is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Huh. Isn't it wonderful? Our Lord Jesus said, blessed are those who have not seen and believed. That's you and I. And, and praise God. <laughs> of course, the faith comes from God, so we can't, you know, we can't take ownership for that and be proud of that because God is the one that gives us faith. And then in the second verse, he says, for by it, that faith, the people of old received their commendation. So by that kind of faith, that kind of faith that requires action, uh, if you go through the, the chapter 11, <laughs> you, you'll see uh, exactly what he's talking about there. Uh, he talks about Abel offered a sacrifice. That was his faith. He did something. He offered a sacrifice that was better than, than Cain. And then by faith, Noah, what did he do? Constructed an ark. He built an ark. He had, he'd never seen it rain, and he built an ark. By the way, when I was preparing this message, I was wanting to say to Elijah, okay, Elijah, you made your point. You can stop praying for rain now. It just keeps coming and coming and coming. Uh, you'll see that later in the message. You might even laugh a little more at it, I hope. So, so by faith, Abraham obeyed. He did something. He obeyed God. What did Abraham was told? Leave Ur of Chaldee, your home, the place that you've lived. Leave it and go where I'm telling you to go. <laughs> Another action. And so uh, without faith, it is impossible to please God. So this is about faith. Faith defined by James requires action. So the first response for the Christian, I want you to hear these words because you can hear them over and over again. First response for the Christian is a Godward display of faith. Now you won't find Godward in the dictionary, but uh, if you put a dash after God and, and word, then uh, it's an acceptable term. Faith is a Godward towards God display or action, a display of faith. 
You know, it's like, I just heard there's trouble in someone's marriage. Boom. What do you do? You should drop to your knees and pray. <laughs> That's a Godward display of faith. I just heard that somebody was diagnosed with cancer. What do you do? You should pray first. Fall to your knees. I just drove past this awful accident. This happens to people. Boom, in your head you should pray, Lord, Lord, please help those people. Somehow get glory through this thing. First responses are really important. Oh God, help. My job's in jeopardy. Pray. First thing, pray. <laughs> My wallet and cell phone were stolen. This is a true story. My first response should have been prayer. It wasn't, but it should have been. <laughs> Godward faith. First response. Is anyone cheerful? He asks another rhetorical question. Is anyone cheerful? What does he say? Let him sing praise. We could do that, you know. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. I told the small group on Wednesday night that sometimes I sing to the deer when I see them. Because the, the line in there says, let all creatures here below praise him. And one of these days I'm waiting for the deer to start singing praise to God. So you can laugh, but actually I love that. So praise toward God. Is anyone cheerful? Let them sing praise. Uh, that's a Godward display of faith. <laughs> There's going to be a marriage in the family. Praise the Lord. Even if you're wondering about it, praise the Lord. My job was rescued. Praise the Lord. I get to eat lunch shortly after this with my wife somewhere. Praise the Lord. I'm looking forward to that. Praise God. We have much to praise the Lord for. Praise Godward faith, our first response in suffering and in cheerfulness. Now, there's some further qualifications for the body of Christ. And these really come from verse 16. And if you remember what verse 16 says, let me read it to you again. It says, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. <laughs> so two qualifications so that the, the prayer of faith will be effective so that we may be healed. You know, isn't it interesting? It really is interesting if you think about it that James implies that all of us that are within the body of Christ, within the community of faith, need healing. <laughs> That's what he's talking about. So there's this thing of healing in the body of Christ. And, you know, it's not necessarily connected to the verse before it where it talks about the prayer of faith. We're going to go back to that. But I want you to understand that within the body of Christ, there's these qualifications 
that we should pray for one another so that we can be healed. Do you recognize this morning that there's times when you need healing in your life? Not just physical healing, spiritual healing. The body of Christ needs healing. And that's what I think he's talking about. So here's the first qualification. You know, before I go there, we need one another in the body, don't we? We really do. Sometimes I think we're just too independent. I know I am, and, and I'm preaching to myself. I'm a very independent person. But we need one another, and we need to reach out to one another, and we need one another in the body of Christ. So first, we're to confess our sins to one another. And then we can pray for one another, expecting God to heal us. <laughs> what does that mean, confess our sins to one another? Does that mean that we confess all of our faults and all of our sins all of the time to everyone? No. I don't think that's what the Lord's talking about. I don't think that's what James is talking about. You remember the Sermon on the Mount. You remember, I think that's what James has in mind uh, from Matthew 5, verses 23 and 24, where the Lord Jesus said, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. In other words, go to your brother. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and, then come and offer your gift. That's the type of thing that the Lord's talking about. And you know when we have communion that I often challenge you and, and Pastor Phil and other pastors that, <laughs> you know what? That's a time, communion, where the Lord very directly tells us if you've got a, a problem within the body of Christ, solve it before you take communion because uh, you'll be taking communion against yourself that way if the problem's not solved. So it's very clear that there's time, there are times when we need to confess things to one another. <laughs> it's... it's uh, there's offenses that are within the body of Christ that would make it really difficult uh, for the body to worship together as the people of God. There's a little church in Alabama. I may have told you this before. I was a pastor there, a brethren church. And two families, two main families, it's like, <laughs> uh, I won't say the names, but in these two families, there were two grandfathers, and they were both elders in the church. One of the grandsons accidentally killed the grandson from the other family. And it just tore those families apart, and there was hatred between the families. And yet those men would try to come to church and, and part, participate in communion. And then, you know, finally the church split, and all kinds of horrible things happened. Were offenses, there are offenses within the body of Christ that need to be resolved before uh, that we need to pray for one another. We need to confess things to one another <laughs> so that we can have full fellowship with God and full fellowship with one another. That's the intention. The second thing, the second qualification, the first one being confess our sins to one another. The second one is the prayer of faith is most powerful and effective when the person who is praying is righteous and pure. Remember what the verse said there? Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then it says the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So 
it's really hypocritical of us to think that we can live like hell and then expect the Lord to answer our prayers. The Lord is telling us that we need to pursue righteousness and purity. None of us are going to be 100% pure and righteous. I understand that. But to ignore our sin, to just ignore it, and then to expect the Lord to answer our prayers is hypocritical. And so we need one another in the body. We need to confess our sins to one another, and we need to be pure and righteous people before the Lord. Uh, scripture is really clear that our prayers will be hindered and perhaps not answered if we have sin in our life and unrighteousness. We can't expect the power of uh, the prayer of faith for our healing to be powerful if we're living impure lives. And you know, my prayer, may God convict us, may his Holy Spirit convict us, even now, of unrighteousness so that we can confess it and forsake it and forsake our sins. In Angola prison, when we go there, every service that I go to, and if the Lord has me speaking or somebody else speaking, whatever the case is, one of our students, we always, at the end of the service, have an invitation. And you know, we don't do invitations very often anymore, and I'm not sure that that's good, because invitations often give people an opportunity to respond, <laughs> a display, a Godward display of faith. And so what happens at Angola is <laughs> the man, whoever it is, gets done preaching, and then he invites all the pastors, and there's pastors from other churches and elders, and I want the pastors and the elders to come up here. And so they come up here, and they line up four or five over here, four or five over here, facing the congregation. And then as the music is playing and the, the service is closing, he says, any one of you that need to come up and pray with someone, please come up and pray. And it's beautiful. The men come up. Not everybody, but many, many of them come up because God has convicted them about something during the message. Or there's something that's weighing so heavily on their heart that they need to share it with somebody. Uh, maybe they don't have somebody in their, their, their uh, dormitory or their cell block that they can share it with, and they need to talk to a Christian brother or sister and pray with them, and they come up. And you know what that takes? That takes humility. It does. It says, you know what? I need something. I need a touch. <laughs> we hold hands when we pray, and often these men are weeping, and I'm weeping by the time I'm done praying with them. And I say to myself, why don't we do that in the church. Not every week, but why don't we offer that? Perhaps at the end of the service we will. We'll offer that, that you could come up and pray. I want to go back now to a particular situation in verses 14 and 15. Let me read those verses again to you. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church. And let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Is anyone among you sick? 
You know, it seems from the text that James is implying a particular situation or a sickness that is so serious that the sufferer needs the help of others to come and pray, to come to their aid. Uh, because of the spiritual distress and maybe the physical distress in regard to their suffering. So it's a serious situation. And you know what? Again, James calls for, <laughs> uh, he calls for a first response to be a Godward display of faith. <laughs> so suffering, pray. Cheerful, praise. Sick, Call the elders. Every one of those is a Godward display of faith. And that's what James is really primarily talking about. These are the actions that a Christian should take. So the person calls the elders. Hear that? The person, the ill person, the person that's sick, they call for the elders. You know, this is also the part of community. And community, you have to ask ourselves, you know, do we really have community in the church? You know, I love our, our body here, and we do have community, but do we really become really transparent with one another as a community? You know, uh, I think sometimes, no, we don't, and, and I'm guilty of that. Uh, do we ask each other the hard questions? Do we call on one another when we need something? And, and that's hard to do. So learn to call for help. And this is where I'm really preaching to myself. Learn to rely on one another. Call on the elders. Call on the shepherds. That's what shepherds are for. <laughs> Be willing to take the initiative yourself to call upon the elders. It takes humility. Put our pride aside. <laughs> I'm one of these people that feel like I, I, I can do it myself but I need help from the body of Christ, and so do you. And send, uh, the next thing is the elder's prayer of faith. So the shepherds from the, of the flock, they go to that person, and they pray over them. <laughs> it seems to imply, like I said already, that that person, uh, that sick person, is probably very weak. They're, they may be down in bed on their back. And, you know, the assumption about the elders, uh, they're righteous men, Categorically speaking, we know that nobody's perfect, but there are men that are pursuing righteousness and purity in their lives, and that God has given them a strong faith. <laughs> Other elders aren't here this morning. I wish they were. But when I've been called to go pray over somebody, I as an elder need to have the faith that God can really heal this person and that he may choose to heal this person. So uh, we need to have a strong faith. And, I, and you know what? And I ask God to give me that faith because where does faith come from? It comes from the Lord. So, Lord, as we go to pray for this person, give me the faith to believe that you could heal this person. As an elder, I want that kind of thing. That God will answer that prayer of faith. And it says that we anoint, anointing him or her with the oil in the name of the Lord. So I brought my little container of oil this morning. Just, uh, it's got a lovely smell to it, by the way. I'm not sure what the fragrance is. Somebody could tell me. Uh, 
But I want you to understand that these oils were used in the times of the Lord sometimes for healing and medicinal purposes, but that's not what the passage is talking about. This oil points to the Holy Spirit of God. It always does. Oil always points to the Holy Spirit of God. <laughs> because it says right here, uh, anointing with oil in the name of the Lord. So it's the name of the Lord. The oil points to the Holy Spirit, the name of the Lord. It's a Godward display of faith. That's all this is, is a Godward display of faith that points to the Holy Spirit. The power comes from the Lord. It says the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Have you thought about that? Does that bring a question? It does. It does to me. I've been involved in these, and sometimes the Lord has healed, and sometimes it didn't seem as if he had. So it says the prayer of faith will save the one who's sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Listen to what Steve Cole said in a sermon, and we read this Wednesday night in our small group, and if you missed it, you get to hear this little prayer. It's not a whole paragraph, but here's what he says, uh, Pastor Steve Cole uh, he says, if you're seriously sick or have a debilitating injury, call the elders for prayer. We will come and talk to you about your situation. We may ask if you are aware of any sins that you need to confess. We will anoint you with oil as a symbol of the Holy Spirit who is mighty to heal. We will pray with you, believing that God can and does heal. But we must submit to his sovereign will which we seldom can know in advance. If he chooses to heal you, give him the glory, because it wasn't the oil, it wasn't our prayers of faith that healed you, it was God. I love that verse, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Huh. So it's not us, it's not oil, it's not our faith, it's not our prayer. It's the power of God if he chooses to heal. And you know what? If we're a Christian, Kathy and I discussed this on the way home from small group, even if God chooses not to heal and we're a believer, we're still going to give God the glory. That's the hard part. But it's the truth. We're going to give God the glory. So calling the elders is a Godward display of faith. There's some extreme views about this passage and all the passages that have to do with healing. On one side, you've got people that say <clears throat> God does not heal miraculously in this age or dispensation. That's a dangerous statement. Because he's God, and he still heals miraculously. He may do it in different ways, but he still heals people miraculously all around our world. There's places around the world where people are just coming to the Lord, and God is still doing mighty healing 
miracles. So it's dangerous. Anytime we try and put God in a box and say he can't do something, that's a very dangerous thing. What's the other extreme? <laughs> the other extreme says that God must heal. Come on in, kids. Just in time. The other extreme is that God must heal if we say the right words and if we have enough faith. Have you heard that view? That puts God in a box. Anytime we say that God must do something based on what we do, that's not the sovereignty of God. That's trying to put God in a box. Both of those views can do extreme damage to people. It affects their faith. <laughs> My brother-in-law, who was part of a, a Bible study of men that were dying from cancer, I think five or six of them, and uh, they had been instructed that if they only spoke words of faith and positive words, that God would heal them. All six of them died of cancer. Does that change God? You know, but it, it doesn't. God is sovereign. But what it did do was impact the faith of some of those children. They wondered, did I not have enough faith? Was it me? Can you see how that kind of thinking is dangerous to try and put God into one of our boxes? But we need to be careful about that. <laughs> reality? Here's a reality. Kathy and I called for the elders to come to our home once. Kathy was uh, down on her back, is how they used to say it in the South. And uh, she was still a young lady, and uh, it impacted us. We thought, wow, this was the worst thing she'd ever gone through. It was extremely painful. So we decided that we would call the elders. They came, they prayed, anointed with oil, uh, talked about all the things that we should talk about. And... What's the result? You know, did God heal Kathy? To me, that's kind of a, an open question. You know, he didn't take the back pain away forever. She still struggles from time to time with her back. But here's what he did do. God showed her some things. He showed her that pain medication wasn't the real answer. He showed her that uh, swimming and walking and stretching were things that would help. He showed her that chiropractic and massage were things that were help, would help. And, and is that healing? Well, let me put it this way. I know that God raised her up. He definitely raised my wife up, and she functions, and she functions at a high level. So uh, that's the reality. Uh, we showed a Godward display of faith. And in my opinion, God impacted my wife's life and gave her enough healing to do what she needs to do and raised her up. So James is teaching God's people to respond again with a Godward display of faith. And what about this thing about the possibility that sin was forgiven? When we as elders go to a person that has called us we ask them, is there something that you feel like may be hindering you in your life, some kind of a sin? If they confess that sin, that may be part of their healing 
And then God says that he forgives those sins. So I want us to move on. We're getting closer to the end. The perfect illustration, Elijah. And boy, I wish we had the time to preach on Elijah because that's a fun story, Elijah. He's an amazing man. You talk about a man of action. Elijah was a man of action. <laughs> Elijah's name means Yah, Elijah. Yah is God. And you can see that in his life because he's talking about Yahweh is God. Jehovah is God. Jehovah is the Lord. That's why his name is Elijah. Uh, <laughs> and so Jehovah, the Lord, is the independent one, the ever-existing God. And so that's, that's his name. And Elijah, James chose Elijah as the illustration of a righteous man of faith who effectively prayed a Godward display of faith. He was a man of faith. He was a man of courage, a man of spunk. <laughs> when he came up against the prophets of Baal, I mean, he was just spunky. He, he was, uh, he, where are you going now? What's your God doing now? You know, how come he didn't light this fire? I mean, that was our Elijah. He's a man of faith, and he was a man of action. God tells him over and over again, arise and go. He doesn't just arise and go. Sometimes he runs for 40 days and 40 nights. He was a man of action. Over and over, he obeyed the Lord. But here's the point I think that James wants to make to you and I this morning in terms of prayer. What's the first thing that he actually says in the text about Elijah? Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. Hmm. So here's Elijah, this great man of action, great man of faith, and it says that he has a nature just like ours. You know what? Elijah questioned God about why did you let the widow's son die? You remember that? God sent Elijah to a widow during this famine, this horrible famine of three and a half years. So she, he told her to bake him some food. She says, I don't have any food. I've only got enough left for me and my son. And so he bravely, man of action, man of faith, says, you know what? That jar of flour is never going to run out, and that jug, jug of oil will never be empty until, until it rains again. And, and that's what happened. But in the midst of that, God allows her son to die. And he goes to the Lord. <laughs> and, and he complains to the Lord. He, he, he questions the Lord. Why did you take this life? You've let me be involved in this family. God healed that son, but he had that question. He's got a nature like ours. Why did Ethan have to die? The young man at the track meet. He complains, Elijah, that he's the only one left walking with God. Sometimes we complain, don't we? Do we ever feel like yeah, I'm kind of all alone in this thing? I'm the only one. Young people, you may be the only one in your, your school that stands up for the Lord. 
And you feel sometimes like, oh, I'm the only one. Everybody else is doing it, something different. Elijah complained like that. It tells us, you know, after that great battle, <laughs> when, when the Lord lit that fire after he dumped precious water, they didn't have water. Think about that. It was, there had been no rain, and he's dumping water and dumping water and dumping water on, on that pile, that altar. And then God sends fire and lights the fire, and then he sends rain out of that little tiny cloud. <laughs> and, he, and, and, and all of the uh, uh, prophets of Baal are killed. You've got a great victory. <laughs> and then Jezebel threatens his life. And all of a sudden, he melts. He's a man of fear. He's afraid. We, we're afraid of things, aren't we? Let's be honest. There's things that you fear. And sometimes, I was thinking about it on the way here, and you think about the things that could happen. And when I think about the things that could happen, I feel like, you know, in a sense, I'm denying God. I'm not trusting him because I've got this fear that this certain thing could happen. So we all have these kinds of fears in our lives. Elijah had fear. <laughs> uh, and then he ran for his life. And he came to a place and he said, I'm no better than my ancestors. I may as well die. <laughs> Take my life, Lord. He's really feeling badly for himself now. He runs to Mount Sinai. He hides in a cave. You ever feel like hiding? Let's be honest. There are times when you just don't want to see anybody and you just feel like, leave me alone. Leave me alone, Lord. Leave me alone, brothers and sisters. That community thing that Dave's talking about, being willing to ask for help and, and ask people to pray, uh-uh, I just I want to be left alone. That's a selfishness thing, really, is what it is. But we all have that tendency from time to time. And that's where Elijah was at the time. And the Lord comes to him and asks him what he's doing, and he complains again. He says, look at everything I've done, Lord. The work that I've done, and yet I'm all alone. But you know what else? Elijah was a man that God cares for. God's hand, we're told, God's hand was on Elijah. Do you know that God's hand is on you in your life? Even if you're running from the Lord, his hand is on you. Man, I can look back in my life <laughs> and see in the years that I was rebelling and running from the Lord how his hand was on me over and over and over again trying to get my attention, protecting me from this thing and that thing, never letting me go beyond a certain point. God's hand is on you. It's on me. And you know what? God answers prayer. He answered Elijah's prayers. And God answers our prayers. Some of us are waiting for some answers. But if you look back, and <laughs> how many of you keep a journal of answered prayers? Just a couple of you. Isn't it astounding when you start looking back in the years before? Kathy does this, and she'll take me back to 1970-something or 80-something. Yeah, wow is right. <laughs> Were you, even, no, you weren't even thought about in the 70s. So it's like, 
oh my goodness, what God did over and over and over again. God answers prayer. He does. He cares for us. <laughs> and you know, God sent an angel to Elijah when he was low, when he was hiding. God sent an angel to feed him and care for him. <laughs> you know, I believe in angels. It's pretty clear that God has angels that protect us and care for us and people that care for us like angels and people in the body of Christ that pray for us and care for us. God cares for us. <laughs> and then God revealed himself to Elijah. Remember that time when he, he was really complaining and he was hiding and, and, you know, he wanted to see the presence of God? And how was it that God revealed himself? A still, small voice, a gentle whisper. Not a huge, powerful thing. Not a display of might. Not some great, huge miracle. But a small, still voice. God speaks to us in a small, still voice. Through his word, into your mind. In many ways, God cares for us just like he cared for Elijah. And then God took Elijah home in a special way. <laughs> I don't think he's going to take us home that way. You remember how he went to heaven? Somebody tell me. Oh, yeah. A whirlwind. Chariots of fire. Woo! Love that movie. Uh, so, God is going to take us home, too. He's preparing a place for us, his people. He cares for us, and he'll take us home in our own special way because God cares for you. So remember Ethan, the young man that lost his life a week ago? The Wheaton student killed at such a young age. Surely his parents had prayed for his safety as a student at Wheaton. I know those that saw the accident, they prayed immediately that God would intervene and save his life. Did God intervene? He didn't save his life. I spoke with a close friend of mine who's a pastor in Cincinnati, and that's where Ethan's parents live. Ethan's parents were missionaries in Zimbabwe. They're back in the United States. They are strong, strong believers. And my friend said that they'd been interviewed on TV. And he said they were outspoken about their faith and about Ethan's faith and their confidence in the Lord. And he said that it was making a huge impact in the churches in Cincinnati to see the confidence that his parents had in the Lord. His father said that Ethan always shared his faith with others. Always. And he said that Ethan's faith guided his, li guided his life, his young life. <laughs> he went on to say that we know that Ethan is with Jesus and the fact that he's with Jesus in paradise is a source of great comfort to us. Of 
Godward display of faith, right? Isn't that what that was? A response, a Godward display of faith. That the works of God may be displayed in him. Romans 9, I'm sorry, John 9. Jesus' disciples asked him, who sinned? The, the, the father, uh, the mother, the son, that the son was born blind. And Jesus said, none of those. It was that the, display, that the works of God might be displayed in this life. You see, that's how God works. It's hard sometimes. It's really hard. Christians have got to submit to God's sovereign will. That's who we are. But listen to this. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Does God care? cares for us. I read something in the Daily Bread this morning and the phrase just hit me. It, it just nailed me. It said that we're, we, God's children, are as dear to God as his own son. Isn't that an amazing statement? Well, of course that's true. He gave his own son to die for us. So we are as dear to God as his own son. He really cares for us. That's why he sent Jesus.